Section 23 of The History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 23. Epistle Henry. To Henry Mandeville, Esquire. In what word shall I assure the most amiable of men he has nothing to fear from Lord Melvin? If he knows my heart, he knows it incapable of change. He knows, not his own generous spirit more disdains the low consideration of fortune. He knows I can have but one wish, that this accidental advantage was on his side, that he might taste the transport of obliging her he loves." My duty, my gratitude to the best of parents, forbids my entering into present engagements without his knowledge, nor will I make future ones, which would have in view an event on which I cannot think without horror. But his commands, were he capable of acting so inconsistently with his past indulgent goodness, would be insufficient to make me give my hand to Lord Melvin, when my heart is fixedly another's. I may, perhaps, assume courage to own my sensibility, a sensibility justified by such merit in the object, to the tenderness of mothers and friends. In the meantime, defer your return to Belmont, and hope everything from time, my father's friendship and my unalterable esteem. Esteem, did I say? Where did I learn this coldness of expression? Let me own, though I am covered with blushes whilst I write, it is from my love, my ardent love, from a passion which is the pride and boast of my life, that the most charming of mankind has everything to hope. If his happiness depends on my affection, he is happy. You shall hear from me by Lady Anne and my beloved Emily. At present you will not ask to hear from me. Adieu. Oh, Mardon, how shall I restrain the wild transports of my heart, her love, her most ardent love. How could I suspect her truth? No, my friend, I ask no more. I will not return to Belmont. Certain of her tenderness, I submit without repining to her commands. Unable, however, to resist the desire of being near her, I will go privately to a little farm, four miles from Belmont, of which it has a view which is rented by an old servant of my father's, whose son is in love with one of Lady Belmont's maids, and from whom I shall hear daily accounts of Lady Julia. As it is near the road, I may even have a chance of seeing her pass by. I shall leave my servants at the inn, and order all my letters hither. Mr. Herbert will convey them to me, and keep the secret of my retreat. Great heaven! I shall to-night be near her, I shall behold the turrets of Belmont. It is even possible I may see the dear object of all my wishes. A thousand sweet ideas rise in my mind. My heart dances with pleasure. Mordon, she loves me. She will never be another's. This passion absorbs me wholly. I had almost forgot my friend. Go to my bankers, take a hundred pounds, and send it by the post to Mr. Herbert, without letting him know from whence it comes. Why is this trifle all that is in my power to do for worth like his? If a happier fate, be let me not encourage the sanguine hopes of youth. I will introduce him to Lord Belmont, the friend of virtue, the support of the unhappy, the
the delegate of heaven itself. Adieu, your faithful H. Mandeville. Epistle Colonel To Colonel Belleville, Thursday A pretty sentimental letter, your last, and would make an admirable figure in a true history of Caledon and Urania. Absolutely, though, Belleville, for people who have sensibility and so little prospect of coming together in an honorable way, we are a most extraordinary pair of lovers, and yet the world, a propos to the world, a French author I am reading says, a wise writer, to divert the fury of criticism from his works, should throw it now and then an indiscretion in his conduct to play with, as seamen do a tub to the whale. Do not you think this might be a useful hint to us beauties? If I treat the good old lady sometimes with a little imprudence in regard to you, my complexion may escape the better for it. We are just returned from a party on the water, which, like most concerted parties, turned out exceedingly dull. We had gilded barges, excellent music, an elegant repast, and all that could invite pleasure amongst us. But whether her ladyship be a true coquette, flying fastest when pursued, or what is the reason I know not, but certain it is one seldom finds her where one goes to seek her. Her visits are generally spontaneous and unexpected. She rejects all invitations, and comes upon you in her own way, by surprise. I set off in high spirits, my heart beating with expectation, and never passed a more languid day. I fancied every moment would be pleasanter, but found the last hour as spiritless as the first. I saw chagrin and disappointment in the eyes of half the company, especially the younger part of it. Lady Julia seemed to say, All this would be charming if Harry Mandeville was here. My own ideas were something similar. I could not keep my imagination from wandering a little to Grosvenor Street. Most of the misses were in the same situation, whilst the good old people seemed perfectly satisfied, which convinces me that at a certain time of life there is no pleasure without the heart, where that is untouched and takes no part in your amusements. All is still life and vegetation. It is in vain to expect enjoyment from outward objects where the soul is from home. I missed my sweet Harry exceedingly, for, though not a lover, he is a divine fellow, and there is something vastly amusing in having so agreeable an object before one's eyes. Whenever I make a party of pleasure it shall consist all of lovers who have not met for a twelve-month. Who should we meet on our return but Fonville, in a superb barge, full of company, dying at the feet of the cittadina, who was singing a melting Italian air? Yes, we are to be Lady Viscountess Fonville. All is agreed. The clothes bespoke. Our very garters interwoven with coronets. I shall get off before the days of visitation, for there will be no supporting Madame la Vicomtesse. I have been talking half an hour tete-a-tete -tete with Lady Mary, and have led her into the secret of little Westbrook's passion for Harry. She drew up at the very mention, was astonished that a creature of yesterday could think of mixing his blood with that of Mandeville, and declared she knew but twenty houses in Europe into which she should ever consent to Harry's marrying. I took this opportunity of giving a hint of his inclination for Lady Julia, but am doubtful whether she understood me. Oh, that he had Lord Melvin's expectations! 
but why do I wish for impossibilities? Let me rather wish what is next to impossible, that Lord Belmont would overlook the want of them. Adieu. Epistle Colonel. To Colonel Belleville, Thursday evening. O oh, ciel, une aventure! Making use of the sweet liberty of Belmont, which has no rule but that of the Thelemites, do what thou wilt, I left them after dinner to settle family affairs, and ordered my chariot to make a solitary airing. An old cat, however, arriving just as it came to the door, who was a famous proficient in scandal, a treat I am absolutely deprived of at Belmont, I changed my mind, and asked her to accompany me, that I might be amused with the secret history of all the neighborhood. She had torn to pieces half a dozen of the prettiest women about us, when, passing through a little village about six miles from Belmont, I was struck with the extreme neatness of a small house and garden near the road. There was an elegant plainness in the air of it, which pleased me so much that I pulled the string and ordered the coachman to stop, that I might examine it more at leisure. I was going to bid him drive on, when two women came out of an arbor, one of whom instantly engaged all my attention. Imagine to yourself, in such a place, all that is graceful and lovely in woman, an elegance of form and habit, a dignity of deportment, an air of delicate languor and sensibility, which won the heart at a look, a complexion inclining to pale, the finest dark eyes, with a countenance in which a modest sorrow and dignified dejection gave the strongest indications of suffering merit. My companion, seeing the apparent partiality with which I beheld this amiable object, began to give me the history of her, embittered by all the virulence of malice, which, however, amounted to no more than that she was a stronger, and that, as nobody knew who she was, they generously concluded she was one whose interest it was not to be known. They now drew nearer to us, and the charming creature, raising her eyes and then first seeing us, exclaimed, "'Good heaven! Lady Anne Wilmot! Is it possible?' I now regarded her more attentively, and, though greatly changed since I saw her, knew her to be Belle Hastings, Mr. Wilmot's niece, whom I had been long endeavouring to find. I sprung from the chariot to meet her, and need not tell you my transport at so unexpected a recounter. After the common inquiries on meeting, I expressed my surprise at finding her there, with a gentle reproach at her unkindness in being in England without letting me know it. She blushed, and seemed embarrassed at what I said, on which I changed the subject, and pressed her to accompany me immediately to Belmont, the place on earth where merit like hers was most sure of finding its best reward, esteem. She declined this proposal in a manner which convinced me she had some particular reason for refusing, which I doubted not her taking a proper time to explain, and therefore gave it up for the present. I insisted, however, on her promising to go with me to town, and that nothing but a matrimonial engagement should separate her from. There is no describing the excess of her gratitude. Tears of tender sensibility shone in her eyes, and I could see her bosom swell with sensations to which she could not give utterance. An hour passed, without my having thought of my meagre companion at the gate. I was not sorry for having accidentally mortified the envious wretch for her spite to poor Belle. However, as I would not designedly be shocking, I sent to her, and apologized for my neglect, 
which I excused from my joy at meeting unexpectedly with a relation for whom I had the tenderest friendship. The creature alighted at my request, and, to make amends for the picture she had drawn of my amiable niece, overwhelmed her with civilities and expressions of esteem, which would have increased my contempt for her, if anything in nature could. After tea we returned, when I related my adventure, and, though so late, could scarce prevail on Lady Belmont to defer her visit to Belle till to-morrow. She hopes to be able to prevail on her to accompany us back to Belmont. Adieu, Carol. Epistle George To George Mordon, Esquire I write this from my new abode, a little sequestered farm at the side of a romantic wood. There is an arbor in the thickest grove of intermingled jessamines and roses. Here William mediates future happy hours when joined to his lovely Anna. He has adorned it with every charm of nature to please the mistress of his soul. Here I pass my sweetest hours. Here William brings me news of Lady Julia. He is this moment returned. He saw her walking to the rustic temple, leaning on Emily Howard. He tells me she sighed as she passed him. Oh, Mordaunt, was that sigh for me? Not certain Lady Julia would forgive my being so near her, or a concealment which has so guilty an air. I have enjoined William's secrecy, even to his Anna, and bribed it by a promise of making him happy. My letters, therefore, come round by Mr. Herbert's, and it is three days before I receive them. I have not yet heard from Belmont or my father. I am supposed to be still at Lord T.'s. Ever an enthusiast from warmth of heart and imagination, my whole soul is devoted to Lady Julia. I pass my days in carving that loved name on the rinds of the smoothest trees, and when the good old man retires to his rest, William and I steal forth and ride to the end of Belmont Park, where, having contemplated the dear abode of all that earth contains of lovely, and breathed an ardent prayer to heaven for her happiness, I return to my rustic retreat, and wait patiently till the next evening brings back the same pleasing employment. Since I left Belmont I have never known happiness like what I now feel. Certain of her tenderness, tranquillity is restored to my soul. Forever employed in thinking of her, that painful restraint which company brought is removed, the scenes around me, and the dear solitude I enjoy, are proper to flatten a love-sick heart. My passion is soothed by the artless expression of William's. I make him sit hours talking of his Anna. He brings me every day intelligence of my angel. I see every hour the place where she inhabits. Am I not most happy? Her idea is perpetually before me. When I walk in these sweet shades so resembling those of Belmont, I look round as if expecting to behold her. I start at every sound, and almost fancy her lovely form in my view. Oh, Mordaunt, what transport do I find in this sweet delirium of love? How eagerly do I expect the return of evening? Could I but once again behold her, once again swear eternal passion? I have a thousand things to say. Epistle, Colonel, to Colonel Belleville. Tuesday morning. I have this moment a letter from Belle Hastings, which I send you. I wish her here, yet know not how to press it, after so rational an apology. End of section 23
Recording by Jadopi. www.publicdomainaudiobooks.blogspot.com.